0: As the song from the musical Cabaret goes, Willkommen, Bienvenue. Welcome. Welcome to this February 18th, 2024 edition of the Redheaded Preacher podcast. I get to be the redheaded preacher of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, Illinois, an open and affirming congregation in the United Church of Christ. This is the first Sunday in Lent. The scriptures we have are from Genesis and 1st Peter and the gospel is from Mark and that's where I'm going to be preaching from. Uh, It was a difficult set of scriptures to choose where to go because to be honest, and this does happen to preachers, neither the passage from Genesis or 1st Peter really spoke to me as being something to preach on even though there are certainly, especially in First Peter, some great verses uh, at the beginning, especially and in the middle of that First Peter passage, but I saw that there was more going on in Mark. And so I chose to preach out of Mark and just kind of saw the accumulation, accumulation of what was going on there. And so that's what I preached on and decided to see it as a means of explaining just how much power and why Jesus would have such so much power to bring to what he preached and taught, which is where this passage ends, him preaching his first sermon on the road. You know, obviously, it's just a summary. I'm sure he preached a whole lot more than just those one or two sentences. So that's what I'm going to be talking about in the sermon. There will be some teaching for sure, if you're familiar with the servant songs in Isaiah, uh, you'll recognize my references to that. And, and uh, I'm going to stop there. Annie Norse is scheduled to be our lector, and I'm a little excited to preach this message. Sometimes I'm a little more excited, but uh, but I I, I mean that as a good thing. I'm a little excited, you know. This is Sunday morning and. I'm uh, anxious to get in the pulpit and bring this. Let me close our intro with a brief word of prayer. Loving and lovely God, we come before you wherever we are and however we are with a sense of humility and gratitude for who you are and how you've blessed us including blessing us with this technology and with the desire to hear more about your word and an extrapolation of it Send your spirit to bless us as we listen and as I preach that What you hear is what you want us to hear and that as I preach it will be your words in my mouth to build up the church wherever the church is in those who listen and those around the world who don't even know this podcast exists which is most everybody we dedicate this time to you O oh lord for we are here for you in your name we pray amen this ends our intro now let's go listen to those scriptures
1: Parts of our life as people of God. And Lent, which just started, is a season of intentional reflection. So, let us ask God to help us listen well to these passages about core matters of faith and to assist us as we contemplate them. Let us pray. Eternal God, these words speak to us of the times of ancient Israel, of John the Baptist, and Jesus. They are holy words from you. Move your spirit, we ask that we will hear what you intend for us to hear, and that we will delight in it. Move your spirit beyond the time of this worship service and guide our thinking later on about what we have heard. This we ask, that we may grow as your people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our Old Testament lesson is Genesis 9, verses 8 through 17. The journey of Noah and his family on the ark during the flood and the rainfall of 40 days and nights has ended, and God has been addressing them. This is the last section of that. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him As for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, The domestic animals and every animal of the earth with you as many as came out of the ark i establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood and never again shall be there be a flood to destroy the earth god said this is the sign of the covenant that i make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth, and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember that my covenant is that my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it. And remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on earth. God said to Noah, "This is a sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on earth." The reading from Genesis. Our second reading is First Peter, chapter three, verses eighteen through <clears throat> twenty-two. Peter writes to a church undergoing persecution. He reminds them of Christ's suffering for their sake and then goes on to relate it to Noah and the baptism <clears throat> But Christ also suffered for sins once for all the righteous for the unrighteous in order to bring you to God he was put to death in the flesh and made alive in the spirit in which he also went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison who in former times did not obey when God waited patiently in the days of Noah during the building of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were saved through water, and baptism, which this prefigured, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to him. This ends reading from 1 Peter. or The Gospel reading for the first Sunday in Lent is Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 15. Some of this reading we heard last month. Mark has already introduced John the Baptist and presented him as a fulfillment of prophecy. John has told his listeners that one was coming after him who was much greater than John, and who who would baptize them with the Holy Spirit. Our story picks up after that. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart, and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased and the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, claiming the good news of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent, and believe in the good news. Here ends our reading and the gospel lesson of our scripture reading for this morning's service. Thanks be to God for this, God's holy word.
0: The congregation may be seated. In Thursday's Chicago Tribune, there was an article called Canceling Out Green Benefits. Sent to the Trib from the New York Times... It said, quote, the Stanley Tumbler, this year's smash hit, is at first glance a win for the planet. It's durable. It's reusable. Unlike the throwaway plastic bottles it's meant to replace, it doesn't generate mountains of plastic trash. But the craze has sparked some less than sustainable behavior. People boast about owning dozens of them. When Target released special editions, including a much-coveted Starbucks version, it caused a mini-stampede. Stanley Mania is a story of how marketing, influencers, and the power of social media converge to produce a cultural phenomenon." End quote. Hmm. Marketing, influencers, and social media. This is how folks make decisions nowadays. That's a lot of influence. That's a lot of juice. When it comes to being influenced, I look for credibility of the source. Those little clickbaits on a smartphone article or on a a computer that give you links to an article that have an interesting sound to the headline. Check the fine print to see the source. Of what you're going to be reading, or the date even, or going to credibility and being influenced. If I'm a football player and someone, a new coach, comes on the staff, well I'm going to be drawn first to the coach who has played the game, rather than to someone who has not played but has done a lot of analysis. A soldier is more likely to be influenced by a colonel who has been in combat maybe even survived a POW camp than someone fresh out of ROTC. I'm not saying you can never learn from someone you may be tempted to dismiss. But when it does come to those whose advice carries weight, it, would it not usually be to someone who has been in the arena, who's done the job or at least designed the job, than someone who has not? And credibility goes hand in hand with authority. And it's this kind of mindset which can lead me to shake my head and say, influencers, that's their job. It's their job to help us decide, to influence us. They're paid to influence us. Anyway, in Mark chapter one, along comes Jesus of Nazareth, cousin of John the Baptist. He begins to preach a very simple sounding sermon the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Say what? Who is he? What does he know, and why should Mark's readers pay attention? Or Those, those crowds who were there at the time before Mark was writing. What does what Jesus experience? How much juice does Jesus have? I'm glad you asked. Mark packed a whole lot of essential stuff in in just a few, that is seven verses. They help answer those questions. Jesus arrives in the southern Israel riverside, having traveled from Galilee in northern Israel to be baptized. As we know, he was baptized not only by John in the river, but also by Holy Spirit. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. What Mark does not tell us is that those verses alone have messianic significance. They're telegraphing a lot. Professor D.E. Ninem wrote in his commentary that the oppressed Jewish people, and here oppressed by the Roman Empire, they, quote, looked for a decisive deliverance by the hand of God himself. The heavens would once again be rent asunder, and the voice and spirit of God would descend to earth. If a little bit of that sounds familiar, you might be recalling a passage we hear in Advent every three years like clockwork. It's Isaiah 64. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. That's a prayer that God would reveal God's self in power as, as in days of old. And the Psalms are familiar with this look for divine deliverance. <laughs> Psalm 18 of God. He bowed or bowed the heavens and came down. Psalm 144 pleads, bow your heavens, O Lord, and come down. But that's not exactly messianic. Hidden within, but it's... it's close it's like come on down god and they're waiting for the messiah to come hidden within ancient hebrew texts we find and the jews would know then in these verses in the testament of levi 18 it reads then the lord shall raise up a new priest and to him all the words of the lord shall be revealed the heavens shall be opened again in the testament of judah 24 and the heavens shall be opened unto him to pour out the spirit the blessing of the holy father ninem says that the one on whose head these blessings were to be poured would be messiah already we see that this jesus of nazareth is fulfillment of prophecy of big time major prophecy pointing to the messiah Another key part of this is something I've preached before, so it will sound familiar to some of you. In the baptism, there is also this. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. This invokes the first verse of Isaiah 42, which reads very similarly, here is my servant whom I uphold my chosen in whom my soul delights I have put my spirit on him he will bring forth justice to the nations this is called by scholars the first servant song the next one is in Isaiah 49 when God says the servant will be given not only to raise up the tribes of Jacob but also to be a light to the nations the third servant song is in Isaiah 50 where the servant says the Lord God has given me the tongue of a teacher I was not rebellious I did not turn backward I gave my back to those who struck me my and my cheeks to those who pulled out the beard I did not hide my face from insult and spitting and lastly we have the suffering servant song that begins at the end of Isaiah 52 and goes all the way through chapter 53, the prophecy we almost always hear on Good Friday. Now in Hebrew liturgical fashion and in Hebrew liturgical literature, say like the Psalms, when you begin at the beginning of a Psalm or perhaps this series of servant songs when you begin at the beginning the whole psalm through to the end is implied you don't have to say it all or read it all or sing it all if what God says at Jesus baptism is very close to the start of the servant songs The thinking is that all of the servant songs are implied and that this servant who thereby ends as the suffering servant who died for the forgiveness of other sins is the one capital O is Jesus who was baptized and if some of you are thinking well the first one you mentioned that Isaiah 42 and, and the words of the baptism they're not exactly you know the same when the voice said in the baptism my son the beloved the greek word for beloved is equivalent in this context to eklektos which means chosen or elect chosen is what we hear in isaiah 42 my chosen in whom my soul delights so if we've got chosen which is you know the greek word for beloved is equivalent in the context so we have an equivalent between being beloved and being chosen And if we went with the elect instead, well, Nainam taught me that the elect one, another way to translate um, eklektos, is known from then-contemporary Jewish literature to have been a common title for the Messiah. Oh, and the Greek word for servant in Isaiah 42, my servant in whom my soul delights, that can also mean son, and that's what God's voice said in Mark. So there is a lot of parallelism which gets us even easier to invoke this is the start of the servant songs which end in the suffering servant all beginning at the baptism which is already echoing the Messiah coming the scriptures about that not only is Jesus then fulfilling the prophecies of the Messiah he and the rest of the Godhead are showing Jesus to be the servant who embodies messianic aspirations if he's not the Messiah himself this is the kind of messiah jesus is meant to be he is the beloved son of god and carrying the spirit of god the messiah that's a lot of juice and then the spirit in a not gentle movement quote immediately drove him out into the wilderness he was in the wilderness 40 days tempted by satan now i learned that the wilderness was normally or traditionally the haunt of evil spirits. And Satan is the chief of the evil powers opposed to the will of God and the establishment of God's kingdom. So Jesus, coming from where he had just come from, he was way, way out of any kind of comfort zone. There is an aspect of awfulness and loneliness in this picture, in this wilderness reality. Now, entire sermons have been preached about the temptations or the tests that Jesus went through. And Mark does not give us the blow-by-blow that Matthew and Luke do. There, the temptations were to abandon the suffering servant model of Messiahship and deliver Israel in other kind and powerful ways. To give in to these would mean to abandon the call and the will of God for Jesus' mission. It would be a betrayal. It would be to sacrifice his identity as chosen, beloved Son of God. Jesus stayed true to the course. He was hungry, but he didn't give in to the temptation to turn bread into stone. He knew the price was too high. He stuck through whatever the forces opposed to God could throw at him in an attempt to convince him to take an easier, softer way that avoids any suffering. Forget all that. There's another way you can do this Messiah thing. Well, you and I have heard about persons who loved Jesus dearly, but still ended up having feet of clay or backbones of rubber when things got really tough, and there was earthly benefit in leaving God's path. Jesus did not do this, which means, as the letter to the Hebrews says, because he himself was tested by what he suffered he is able to help those who are being tested that is some serious juice too to be able to help us undergoing temptation because he's already undergone it and was victorious i imagine that many of those who were with jesus then were unable at first to put all this together But those who read the Gospel of Mark, the next generation, they knew they were on the other side of the resurrection. This helped them understand, as I just presented, reasons to understand that when Jesus returned to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe in the good news, that this was preached with a juice like no other they knew about jesus juice there was good reason he spoke with authority and not as one of their scribes they understood who he was and who he is gave weight to whatever it was he said they knew that based on him being the fulfillment of messianic prophecies on the descent of the spirit and the voice of god declaring him in essence to be the servant who ended up as the suffering servant happening to be on Calvary, and that he had overcome the slings and arrows of his greatest enemy over the long haul. Forty days means a long time. Jesus had the credibility to put behind his words. Listen to him indeed. Now what we've heard up to the start of Jesus' preaching are highlights just who the proclaimer of the kingdom is and how he brings heft unique weight and love to it so what was it he was preaching again oh yes the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of god has come near repent and believe in the good news nothing to let fall on unhearing ears don't let anything fall the time is fulfilled No more waiting for any more centuries in unfulfilled time. The Messiah is on the way and is here already. The time for getting ready. The time to which John the Baptist preached has begun in earnest. Your ride is at the door. The kingdom of God has come near or is at hand. Reminds me of when Jesus says in Luke that the kingdom of God is among you or in your midst or within you depending on which translation. The kingdom of God is knocking at your door and the handle to open that door is only on the inside where you and I are symbolically. And that in turn reminds me of Revelation 3.20 where Christ says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Whoever hears my voice and answers and opens the door, I will come into them and eat with them and they with me and that's represented by the Schmidt memorial window. There's no latch for Jesus to open the doorway. It's on the inside. It's up to us. The kingdom of God has come near. The statement also implies a decision is to be made. I feel that there is a need to respond to the realm of God being so near as to be at hand. The realm of God which scripture and Jesus himself teach as a realm where there is accountability and forgiveness. Healing where healing has been denied. Lives like that of Zacchaeus the tax collector who changed for the better exponentially. A critique of self-righteousness instead of it being sought after. A realm where service is a privilege and love is the greatest commandment. This realm that is in love with peace and justice is at hand. Jesus brings it that's some juice and the kingdom he brought is here but there's also a dimension that it's not yet we are in the here and not yet part and then it goes on to say repent and believe a preacher with that much juice must be listened to he is speaking for the holy one turn around if we see that we are facing away from god and embrace god as god embraces you It's liberating, it's freeing to leave things which are obstacles in our relationship with God behind, as I said in the sermon some weeks ago. Turn around. If we think if we need to turn around, we're not facing God. If we turn around, we face God so we can embrace and meet face to face, as it were, and then believe the good news. Trust the Messiah foretold by Scripture, affirmed by the Creator of the universe, called Son and Chosen, anointed as Mashiach by the Spirit, who won in a long confrontation with the worst of the powers and would end up, as we know, going to Calvary and rising victorious from the grave. Repent and believe the good news. Why would we refuse taking these words to heart when we know from Mark that there is no mightier juice than that of Jesus? Amen. Jesus has the juice. Amen. That's good news. Jesus has the most juice. That's even more Hallelujah! Except it's Lent, so we're not supposed to say that. But I'm not in worship, so it's okay. Um, I did receive um, a comment on the sermon shortly after preaching it. I hadn't even left the sanctuary. Someone was grateful for the teaching aspect of it that she, you know, heard and learned some things she hadn't heard before. So that's that's much appreciated um, when someone tells me that. I had that hope when I was you know, comparing Isaiah and Mark and giving some background about the heavens being torn open being really part of a messianic expectation, though I didn't make it clear that it was, perhaps. Because um, uh, anytime somebody says something to me afterwards, like your sermon gave me something to think about, or you made me think today, or I have to think about some of this stuff, that's a high compliment. And for someone to say that they learned something is also... Uh, a compliment because I did look at this message, at least in part, as, a, as I said, a teaching sermon. I break down my sermons, and I think I've said this before, not recently. Uh, there are sermons to encourage and bring comfort, bring hope, more of a pastoral or priestly sermon. There are sermons that I call educational. Uh, they might come across as a little bit more of a lecture, They are meant to be a teaching sermon, and then there are prophetic sermons, which I hope will get people, uh, increase their awareness about an issue, perhaps, but also get people um, maybe light a little bit of a fire underneath them to take some action against some injustice that I lift up, or in favor of a justice and a vision of the realm of God that I've lifted up. And and to me, part of what a prophet does is speak truth to power. And though I may not be addressing the power that I'm addressing in the sermon because I'm addressing the congregation um, uh, in what I hope is an inspiring message, prophetic sermons are about that, though, at least in part. They call people back, call people back, to, uh, to God's will and God's vision for a just and humane world and a loving world. So those are, when I, I don't think of these things too much when I'm actually preparing and, and writing a sermon, gee, which one of these sermons is this? But it's not too far from my mind, and this week was a case where I was thinking, maybe this is going to end up being more of a teaching sermon. And I'm okay with that, of course. Um, at In the United Church of Christ, when a pastor is installed, they are not only installed as pastor, but it, it really is pastor and teacher of, in my case, pastor and teacher of St. Peter's United Church of Christ. That concludes our podcast for February 18th. I'm glad you listened. I thank you. I appreciate you tuning in. And we'll look forward to bringing you a message next week. Like what you've heard? Hit subscribe to follow and get updates on our newest additions to the Red-Headed Preacher. We'd love it if you'd give us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us online under most social media platforms by typing St. Peter UCC Skokie in your browser. Donations are much needed and very welcomed. You can donate to us by going to paypal.me backslash St. Peter UCC Skokie. This information and more can also be found in the show notes wherever you listen to our podcast. Thank you so much.